open your Bible app on your phone as we'll look through several of those verses this morning. Let me just say to you this morning, I'm not preaching this morning. I just simply want to share a word with you as your pastor and to those who are joining with us on Facebook or YouTube or finding us later on our website, I just want to speak to you as as a pastor about this particular issue. Our, our bishop of the Mississippi Annual Conference uh, sent out a reminder to churches this week and said, listen, these are, these are guidelines about when churches can get back together. And y'all, I'm just, I'm sorry to say it's still going to be several more weeks before we can do that just because of the size of our church. But he said, these are these are guidelines, these are not commandments. And that's what I want to do this morning as we look at this passage. Not, not to be dogmatic about that, uh, but to see where, where is God's goodness to us in this word. Because as we talk about this topic, it can certainly be and has been for me very guilt-producing. Or maybe you might say, listen, I've read Colossians 2.16 and you can't judge me on that particular topic and you're just going to slough off this sermon. Or maybe it's going to create a hyper-legalism in you and I've seen that happen and any kind of legalism will just suck the life and vibrancy out of your walk with God. Or maybe you'll listen to this and say, preacher, even though you were trying to come, come this morning as a pastor, that's a little self-righteous and you're a little holier than thou. Maybe, maybe. But as we turn to this subject, what is it that God gives to the people in the wilderness? And it really is his gift to them. When they find themselves in the desert, when they find themselves in the wilderness, what is it that God shares with them? Last week we talked about worship. How important that was in drawing the people of God to God in that situation. And now he gives them another gift. And as we look at this gift, let me just say I've personally struggled with this. My family has personally struggled how we live out this good plan of God for us. Sometimes we've done too much, sometimes we've done too little, and maybe you've struggled as well. But let's see together what God's word would say to us today about the Sabbath rest that he blessed his people with then and now. Now listen, this sermon could be preached at any time, but especially in these days, days where maybe you're struggling, maybe this is a season of anxiety, at least we've been knocked off kilter. Most of our regular schedules have been thrown off. Maybe, maybe you're more tired than usual. Maybe you're a little bit irritable. Maybe, maybe you're just kind of finding yourself to be sad and you're not normally sad. Maybe this really is a time of anxiety for you. And maybe you're feeling, hey, I can't wait to get back to normal. Well, do we really want to go back to what was normal? As a, as a husband, as a parent, as a friend, uh, as a pastor, yes, I want normal, but maybe in this season I can do some reflection work and look into God's Word and say, Lord, how do you want me to be normal in the new normal? Because some of our past normal, if we're honest, didn't, didn't work didn't work as God planned for us. As we talk about those things that we say are life-giving, and we look at the way we do recreation, or our schedules, or our vacations, usually we come back from those things totally wiped out. 
and exhausted. They don't do the recreating work that God has gifted to his church in Sabbath rest. And so we want to do that work this morning, just looking at what, is, what does he want to say to us? A people who are off kilter, a people who may be a little bit tired from having to do so many new things, just trying to get through to bless our kids or maybe to, to meet new work obligations, how to do what we're doing. And listen, we've all been pushed and stretched. I love what Bilbo Baggins said in The Lord of the Rings. I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter spread over too much bread. It's a vivid, a vivid picture of maybe where some of us are today, like butter scraped over too much bread. So let's go back to the wilderness. Where is their refreshment? Where do we see the vibrancy of their lives in the midst of a very difficult and straining circumstance? Well, God commands to them, you need to follow Sabbath rest. And listen, it's everywhere in this section of Scripture. You go back to Exodus 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and then after that, he spells out one or two more of those commandments, not all of them, but Sabbath is definitely one. He, can, he consistently goes back to, it's prominent there. And then as we said last week, you get all these chapters about priests and tabernacle and what that should look like, but then he comes back and begins to talk about one last thing. Before he closes this section of scripture and says, this is what I want you to give to the people. At the very end, what's the one thing he shares with them? Out of all the Ten Commandments or all the things that are on God's heart, he says, let me come back to Sabbath. And after he talks about Sabbath, he says, now, go give them the tablets. Over and over again, that's what we find. Now, you and I know from last week what happens. When Moses goes to give the tablets, he finds them with the golden calf. And then in the next couple of chapters, you have Moses intervening for the people, God giving them two new tablets, God um, remaking, uh, revowing his covenant with them. And then he talks about a few other things and reminders. And guess what? It's Sabbath that comes up again. 43 times. From Exodus to Deuteronomy, 43 times we find the word Sabbath. That's, that's more than one a book, a ten a book. You take the, the rest of the Old Testament that, that talks about Sabbath a lot, 53 times. But in those 35 books, the rest of the Old Testament, you, it comes up maybe 1.5 times a book. For these people in a desert situation, in a wilderness situation... And beginning as God's people in that circumstance, God says, before you set out, understand this. Don't miss this. And listen, as you keep reading throughout those first five books of the Bible, but really books two through five, it, keep, it, it expands who God wants to give rest to. It's almost like one of Oprah's giveaway shows, right? You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Animals, you get rest. Slaves, you get rest. Land, you get rest. God continues to spell out and expand how he wants to give rest to all of creation. And then it just continues. Nehemiah talks about it ten different times. The prophets speak of it over and over again about the rest we can have in the Lord through Sabbath. Now there's some 
You get to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, there's some, there's some pretty difficult warnings about Sabbath, that that needs to be practiced by God's people. And if not, I mean, you, you find some scary language about unquenchable fire for those that don't follow after Lord's statutes. And we'll talk a little bit later about why. But then you get this glorious passage in Isaiah 58 about the delight of that day, of being in God and with God and seeking God throughout that day. Now listen, I understand we're New Testament people. We're under, under grace. And, and maybe we might say, well, you know, some parts of the ritual of the law, that can go by the wayside. It seems to have done that for the early church, and I understand that interpretation. But I don't want to miss the heart of God's moral law, but also the heart of what God wants for his people in Sabbath rest. Jesus was clear with us, reading from the New American Standard, that the Sabbath was made for man, not us for the Sabbath. I get that. New, New Living Translation says it this way. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The modern-day paraphrase, the message, says it this way. Then Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. And I love how he adds this because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The way he reinterprets this, the Son of Man is no lackey to the Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't master me. But it's a gift from God. It's for us. And I don't want us to miss his word or his hopes for us on that. If you're a note taker, I want you to write down a few words. And the first word is rest. As we go through these verses now, if you're in Exodus 31, we're going to see this word rest over and over again. In, in, in verse 17, it's actually the Lord testifying that even though God, who is all-powerful and doesn't need refreshment, is refreshed by this. That at the very beginning of Christ, uh, creation, this modeling of what life is to be, this ordering of life, God says on the seventh day he rested and was, verse 17, refreshed by that. And he wants that. Now, there's some commandments here for God's people in that time. You follow this or you'll die. Now, this is a preacher stretch, but, but I think there's truth to that. And again, this is as your pastor, I just simply want to say this. We are dying if we don't take Sabbath rest. And my concern and my worry is you're going you're gonna to take some people with you too. That you'll try to squeeze the life out of them because you haven't found your life and your rest in God in his Sabbath rest. And it's not just rest from the week. That's certainly the model in creation and here. But my, my concern is, as your pastor, if we don't rest well, if we don't take God's resurrection day as the church has moved it to Sunday, if we don't take that day and really rest, not just worship, but, but rest, physically rest, emotionally rest, relationally find rest and refreshment, but so importantly, spiritual rest. If we don't do Sunday well, my worry is we won't do Monday well. We definitely won't do Thursday or Friday or Saturday well. God's call to his people then, his call and plan for us to, for today is refreshment. Even God was refreshed in Sabbath rest. The second word to write down would be holy. He says in verse 14 and 15, holy, that the Sabbath day is to be holy. Now, not only is it to be done righteously and rightly, 
That's part of the understanding of the word holy. But holy really means separate. This day is to be separate for you. A different kind of day. Can your Sunday really look like a second Saturday? Can my Sunday really just like any other day except for that hour I come to worship or if I go to Sunday school? God attaches this rest also to our own holiness. If you go down to verse 13, it says, He's sanctifying you through rest, through this practice, through this rhythm. There may be soul work, spiritual work, that, that God can't do in our lives because we won't not just physically rest, but because we won't be available to him throughout Sabbath rest to do that work. There's some sanctifying work we might miss if it's just, I go to worship and that's it. If I'm not reading, if I'm not praying, if I'm not having spiritual conversations with others, there's a sanctifying work that he wants to do in his people. Not just refreshment, but sanctification. Being made holy. The third word, is rhythm. Verse 15 and verse 17, you see him speaking of this seventh day, that there's to be a rhythm to life. And listen, where we are right now, we know that our rhythm has been thrown off. We're out of our rhythms and out of our routines. I panicked three weeks ago. Now, my last couple of churches as their pastor, I prayed the pastoral prayer every week. I was in a rhythm and routine of that but here at this church, I don't, I don't get to do that too often. So I got up a couple of weeks ago to do that, love doing that. And then we got to the Lord's Prayer, and the sweat machine turned on. And I panicked. Because I hadn't prayed the Lord's Prayer out loud, especially in front of a camera with nobody here. I haven't done that with, without your help. It was just me up here. So you can bet, even though I didn't pray with any notes today, when it came time for the Lord's Prayer, and you can go back and watch the video, I pulled out a little slip, slip, I pulled out a slip of paper today to make sure I didn't bumble through that because I didn't want to interrupt worship and interrupt our prayer. I was out of rhythm. Rhythm and routines are critical. You ever watch somebody dance out of rhythm? Oh, that can be terrible. You ever listen to somebody play or sing and they're out of rhythm? That can be excruciating. Anybody have a heart issue where your heart gets out of rhythm, you could testify about how scary that can be. I'm going to go ahead and confess to you. I've, I've got, I'm just going to call it a deal. I've got a heart deal. I've had it since high school. Found it maybe in middle school or high school playing sports. I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to tell you that because right now you're going to get off of YouTube or off the website and you're going to run to WebMD and you're going to try to diagnose me. So don't do that. But I have a rhythm deal that sometimes when I bend and move, or sometimes if I hadn't had sleep and too much caffeine or whatever, my heart will, it's as though it explodes. It races at an incredible pace. I can't catch my breath. I almost pass out. Just my breathing is just crazy, and it takes me about four or five minutes of calming down until I'm good to go. Matter of fact, it happened, I think, three weeks ago as I was sitting right here. Somebody got up to read scripture, and it happened, you didn't see it happen because I pressed through. And my worry as your pastor is, is we get out of rhythm, we get out of routine, and we just press through. I'm thinking back to my senior year. It was homecoming. 
the big homecoming football game where you're supposed to play a team that's not so good. And as we lined up against that team we played for homecoming, I just looked across that line and every player we had against that smaller school, lesser school, every player we had was a superior player, a bigger player, more talented player, and then there was me. Here I am stuck out playing defensive end against a guy who's six foot eight, about 270 pounds. I get stuck with the one player who's the great player on that team. About the third or fourth play of that game, rather than block me and take the time to do that, he just reared back and he punched me as hard as he could in my chest. And my heart deal went off. Couldn't breathe, my heart was racing, it sapped all my energy and I was about to pass out, but I'm a team player and I'm gonna press through this. So I went back to the huddle and don't know what they called and I went back to play him again. I know I was a lesser player because I just couldn't catch my breath. My heart was aching. My heart was out of rhythm. And then right before halftime, I caught a pass out in the flat. And there, there was their outside linebacker, big guy. And normally you try to juke him and get out of the way and get some more yards. But it's like we locked eyes, like, oh, you're challenging me. So we just looked at each other. And there, here's a you know, big kid running at me 15, 20 miles an hour with all he had. And there I am with the ball racing at him three, four, five miles an hour with all I had. And we smashed each other. And unfortunately, he got a little bit lower than I got. And his helmet hit me right here in the chest. Matter of fact, he kept his head up and it was his face mask that hit me right in the chest. And I remember thinking about that hurt more than it should have. Now listen, I was a senior, which meant at our school, maybe we didn't have all the funds we should have had, we had the good pads. <laughs> Seniors got the good pads, and that really should have absorbed the blow, but it hurt so bad. But I still wouldn't come out. My heart was aching. My heart was racing. Finally, at halftime, I went to the coaches and said, hey, can you all listen to my heart? I'm, I'm having a hard time, and my, my heart's hurting. And they lifted up my jersey, and what we found was this. Apparently, when he had punched me, he had broken my shoulder pads. They were attached by a latch, not by these, whatever. Anyway, and my shoulder pads were under, this front protective guard was back under my sh shoulder, my armpit. My chest was completely exposed. And so for that whole first half, as I was taking shots to the chest, I was thinking, this hurts more than I could. And you could see the face mask where he just planted me. You could see the bruising already at halftime where he hit me. Here's my worry. When we press through when we're out of rhythm not only will we be less than God wants for us and hopes for us which I was throughout that first half I wasn't the player I should have been but I was unprotected and I didn't have a clue when we don't rest well in the Lord if he doesn't build us up and his people build us up when we get out of that rhythm not only be less than what Lord intends for us but I'm, I'm afraid we're going to be unprotected. Now I love this last couple of words. This last last couple is reliance. Verse 13 says that you may know that I am the Lord God who sanctifies you. Diane Yuri, the wife of Bill Yuri, who's preached for us and taught for us before, uh, came to, I was teaching a class at Bellhaven on kingdom life and what that looks like. And I had her come in and talk about Sabbath. And she says one of the reasons she loves Sabbath, it's a way to say to the Lord and to the world that we are reliant on God. And verse 13 fits that perfectly. Here's what she said. Here's why we rest. We partly rest to exhibit our lack of idolatry. Sabbath reminds us of who makes our life work, and it is not us. 
Now listen, Diane does all kinds of stuff on Sabbath, so there's no kinds of legalism in her life, and I, I want to I remind you of that. It doesn't mean we just sit there all day and be pitiful, but it is a day where we're still and we know, as God says, be still and know that I am God. We protect those hours so that God can speak and refresh and sanctify us. I like what Ruth uh, Haley Barber says in her books, Sacred Rhythms. Not only does she talk about that Sabbath's for our body's rest, and listen, she'll take bike rides, she'll eat her favorite foods. By the way, she says there's no diets on Sabbath, right? Um, she talks about uh, all that we can have for physical rest. She listens to music, she gets out in the sun, she takes a nap, takes a walk, all those things. But when we worship and when we read Christian material in the Bible, when we have real spiritual conversations with others, we do that work. Not only is there a rest, but what we're saying to God is, without any form of legalism, we are banking on you. You are our rest, and we're relying on you and not ourselves. And that's what he says, closing. The last word would be signs. Verse 13 and 17, he starts and he ends with this. This is a sign of my covenant to you. It's to be a constant reminder to you that you are mine. Take this day. Remember my love. Remember my faithfulness to you. How is it you and I are doing that? This is what he says uh, to his people over and over again in the wilderness. Uh, you need my rest. I like how Mark Buchanan says it in his book, the rest of God. Um, he says that people are not, and this is how he begins his book, people are not dying for another book. People are dying for the rest, meaning the Sabbath rest. People are dying for the rest of God. How is it you and I need to be still? How is it you and I need to enjoy him? How is it you and I need to fight for, and it will be a fight, so that Sunday is not just about worship, but it's about him, and it's about his refreshment, him speaking into our lives, whether it's refreshment or encouragement or sanctification, allowing our lives to be his, because not just of this desert situation, but if we're honest with ourselves and we do that reflective work, maybe looking back at our schedules and what was normal, did that bring his refreshment what if what if Sunday was a holy day separate for him and that that morning and that afternoon would really just be a time where the Lord uh, could love us speak to us refresh us before us let's pray about that father we thank you for your faithfulness to speak to your people at a time where they needed to desperately hear from God we thank you for the goodness of your plan. Father, help us not to ever overreact, to, to fall into, as, as Jesus uh, corrected, a, a legalism that he saw so clearly in his people. But Father, for your goodness and your faithfulness in your word and in your purposes for us, help us to find our rest in you. Bless us as we respond, as we reflect, in Jesus' name. Amen.